Dear God in heaven, what a wonder it has been to be here this week. And we have sensed your Holy Spirit talking to us. I've sensed it, the Spirit of God talking to me. And Lord, we're, we're hungry for more. I've listened to the prayers of uh, the pastors and others who have prayed just a few minutes ago, praying that we would hear your voice talking to us. And so we pray that again. Please, Father, you know my, my topic. You know the message. And I pray that you'll give me just the right words. And if there's other words that I haven't planned on saying that you want me to say, may your will be done. Speak to our hearts. Get us ready for what's coming. And use us to help others to get ready for Jesus to return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, this is going to be exciting. Revelation chapter 14, verse 9, is the beginning of the third angel's message. And actually, I would like to just read the entire third angel's message. 14.9 says, the third angel followed them, saying with what kind of a voice? With a loud voice. And that voice is going to get louder and louder and louder in this world. Satan can't stop it. He would love to shoot the three angels out of the sky, but he can't do it. These messages are from God. They're in the Bible. They're in the book of Revelation. And they are unstoppable. And we do well to line up with the three angels. If we do that, we're on God's side. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture, into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. It's amazing that the Lamb is right there in the middle of this fiery message, and the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. Some time ago, I read that text, no rest day or night for those that worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. And it just impressed me that, you know, God, if if I'm not a beast worshiper or an image worshiper or someone who gets the mark, the Lord wants me to have rest day and night. And it's those who worship the beast and the image and get the mark, they have no rest day or night. So doesn't that imply that God wants us to have rest of soul day and night through our relationship with Jesus? Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. And then verse 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. That is Word for word, the message of the third angel. 
Now, Revelation chapter 18, verse 1, describes another angel coming down from heaven. And as I've studied this and put the pieces together, I've learned that the three angels' messages are God's last message to go to the world, and then the fourth angel comes down in Revelation 18.1 during the final crisis, and he comes down to give power to the third angel. Ellen White says that, Revelation 18, verse 1, says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, and he had great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. That's a, a wonderful text. Is that my phone? No? It seems like that's a loud phone. Is that going on through the speaker system or someone's cell phone? No? Okay, sorry about that. Uh, where was I? <laughs> Revelation 18.1. You know, we, we've read that verse a lot, haven't we? Many of us have. And that verse is describing a final burst of light. A final burst of light into the world that's going to come down with great power and lighten the whole earth. And that, that Revelation 18.1 angel is connected to the third angel. And Ellen White says that the Revelation 18.1 angel will come down and combine and give special power to the third angel during the final crisis. That's what she says. And it actually, when you read Revelation 18, it combines part of the message with the second angel about the fall of Babylon. Just recently, I was thinking about the part that says, the earth was lightened with his glory. And I thought about that word lightened, and my mind went back to, I think it's Psalm 34, that says, they looked to him and they were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. Remember that verse? They looked to him and they were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. So I wonder when, when Revelation 18.1 happens and the angel comes down and, and the earth is lightened with his glory, I wonder if some of that lightening of the earth has to do with lightening people's faces, because people's faces are lighting up because they're looking to him, and they're being lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. I long to be part of that Revelation 18.1 angel. Now, let's go back to the third angel, and let me put some pieces together here. The third angel's message, when you just read it as it is written... It's very clear that the third angel's message is a, and this is not politically correct, what I'm about to say, but it's exactly what the Bible says. The third angel's message is a warning of the, wrath, of the coming wrath of God upon those who worship the beast and his image and get the mark. Isn't that true? I mean, that's... Clear as day. It says, the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worships the beast and his image and receives his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. That's what the Bible says. So it's a warning of the wrath of God that is coming upon those who worship the beast and his image, and who get the mark, right? 
That's right there in plain English. When you keep reading it, you discover that the wrath of God really is against, the, is against sins of breaking his law. When you keep on reading, it ends at, in verse 11 with those, verse 11 says, talks about whoever receives the mark of his name. So at the end of verse 11 is the warning about the mark. And then verse 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. So in my, in my evangelistic meetings, I show to people very clearly that verse 11 talks about those who get the mark, and verse 12 talks about those who keep the commandments. Ultimately, the wrath of God that is coming against those who worship the beast and the image and who get the mark is the wrath of God against sin of breaking his law. The law of God is right there in the middle of the third angel's message. And if you really think about this, and I've just, you know, I've been pondering the, three, the third angel's message many, many times. I know it by heart. I've read it again and again and again and again and again. And if you just really think about it, uh, verse 9 says, the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worships the beast and his image, which commandment is being broken there? First one and probably the second one. Uh, both of them. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second commandment says, don't make any idols. Don't bow down to any, any idols. And those who worship the beast and his image are violating the law of God. They're breaking the first commandment. Instead of worshiping God alone, they're worshiping the beast and the image of the beast. This is idolatry, isn't it? It's idolatry. It's breaking the law of God. And when the third angel then warns about the mark of the beast, which commandment is being violated there? We should all know the answer to that. Commandment number four, right? Because the mark of the beast has to do with the changing of the seventh day Sabbath into the first day of the week, and eventually uh, that change being enforced by law, enforced Sunday keeping around the world so that nobody can buy or sell unless he goes along with the mark of the beast is the enforcement of the violation of the law of God. So not only are people breaking the law, but then you have governments forcing people to go along with Sunday. So the whole context of the third angel's message is the law of God and judgments coming against those who break God's law. Now, I've, my little book uh, on the three angels' messages and I have a presentation on this where I put a lot of pictures on the screen. I've decided not to use my keynote slides during this meeting. It's just me and the Bible. 
and the spirit of prophecy, but I want to just share a few headlines that have been just within the last few years. I don't know if you're aware of this. I'm assuming most of you are, but there's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of buzz going on in the media in reference to Sunday and getting back to those old Sunday laws. Are you aware of that? A lot of discussion going on. And I've just got in this little book, God's Final Warning, I have uh, headlines that are linked to articles, such as this article from the Associated Press, which is called, Keeping Stores Open on Sunday is Not Beneficial for Society, Says Pope Francis. You can read the whole article where Pope Francis is pushing for Sunday laws. He thinks that it's just terrible that stores are open on Sundays. He thinks that's totally uh, contrary to families and our spiritual lives, and he builds his case, which is quite erroneous, that Sunday should be enforced by law. That's what Francis really wants to see happen, and this has been reported in the media. Here's another one in an article in The Guardian. The title is called Slow Sunday, The Simple Solution to Global Warming. Have you heard about all the climate change chatter? You know, whenever you have a big disaster, people are saying it's climate change, climate change, global warming because of all the carbon dioxide and the pollution that uh, this industrial world is sending up into the environment. The theory is that that carbon dioxide is warming the planet. And because of the warming of the planet, we're seeing more weather-related disasters. And Pope Francis is putting forth a solution. And others are talking about it, that if we would all just stop working one day a week, think of how much less pollution would go up into the environment. And that would uh, help with global warming, and that would help to uh, counteract all of the disasters, and there'd be less disasters. So they're building Sunday into the arguments uh, concerning climate change. And that's happening right now. Here's another article from Fox News. This is a headline, Let's Make Sunday a Day of Rest for God's Sake. Here's another one from a, a European publication called The Parliament. That the headline was, Sunday work is a danger to our health and our safety. Here's another one from ABC News. German court enforces day of rest. Talking about Sunday laws in Germany. There are Sunday laws in Poland. There are Sunday laws in Italy. Sunday legislation is growing in Europe. Here's another one called uh, Patheos about North Dakota. North Dakota Senate rejects blue law repeal because citizens should use that time to go to worship. Have you heard about the debates in North Dakota? People are, some people are saying we need to get rid of those old blue laws that are on the books. And the, uh, the, the government in North Dakota dealt with that and said, no way. We are not getting rid of those blue laws. We need those blue laws. We need to get back to keeping Sunday in North Dakota. That's a recent discussion. And then here's one more from The National. Uh, the title of the article is, Sunday Should Be a Day for Rest. So my point is that there is a lot of chatter going on. 
And there's many, many more articles that I could share with you. I could go on and on and on and on and on about how Sunday and getting back to Sunday and enforcing Sunday as a solution to climate change and to, to uh, America and the world's woes, our environmental woes and our moral woes, we need to get back to keeping the first day of the week. Now, we have, uh, we've known about this for a long time, haven't we? We've read the great controversy. We've read the prophecies, and we know that according to great controversy, Sunday is eventually going to be enforced by law. And I tell you, what's in this book is not fiction. Amen. What's in this book is right. Amen. And it's, it's, uh, it, the buildup is happening right now. Amen. It's building up all around us, and it's not going to be long until we see those Sunday laws actually enforced. Now, when you read great controversy carefully... She also says something very, very important. And let me share this quote. This is from page 590. What is going to be the, the tipping, what's going to tip the scales that's going to lead the United States government and governments around the world to enforce Sunday as a, as a solution to the world's moral and environmental woes? What is going to tip the scales? I'll tell you the answer. The answer, according to the spirit of prophecy, is the increase of deadly natural disasters. She's very, very clear on that. That uh, like what happened in Paradise, California. You know what happened in Paradise, California? That, uh, that entire town of about 27,000 people was practically wiped off the map. Less than two weeks ago, I was in California, and a, my friend, uh, Pastor Ron Fleck, does that name ring a bell? He did tell me to tell you hello from Pastor Ron, because he has a lot of friends here in this conference. Where is he? He works with me. He's been uh, employed by Whitehorse Media, and Ron and I travel together reg regularly. He's one of my best friends. And uh, just recently, we were in Red Bluff, California, and we had uh, a free afternoon before our Friday night meeting, and we were about 45 minutes away from paradise. And so we decided to drive down in our rental car and drive around the neighborhoods in paradise. And it was just shocking for us to see. We would drive around in these neighborhoods, and you'd see one house right, you know, right there, that was in perfect condition, it hadn't been touched. And all around it were neighbors' houses that were completely destroyed by the fire. Completely destroyed. The Adventist church was completely burned to the ground. It was a major church in paradise. It was, in many ways, kind of like an Adventist retirement community. A lot of Adventists there. I have a good friend of mine, uh, Dave Westbrook. You know, he barely got out with his life. He was there visiting, uh, and his family, you know, they were there, and people barely got away. And as I, was, as I uh, drove through this neighborhood with Pastor Ron, we were just, just shocked to see one house untouched and all these other houses completely destroyed. And it just reminded me of the text, two are in the field, one's taken, one's left. You know, we don't really know the reason why some houses survived and some houses didn't. 
but it was a terrible disaster. And we're told in the spirit of prophecy that by fire and flood and earthquake and hurricanes and storms, God's judgments are going to be falling upon this world because this world is breaking his law. You can find quotes like that over and over and over again in the spirit of prophecy. And in the great controversy, she makes this very clear. She says, it will finally be declared that men are offending God by the violation of the Sunday Sabbath and that this sin has brought calamities which will not cease until Sunday observance shall be strictly enforced. That's the argument. So what I see happening is that Sunday, I mean, uh, the disasters are going to be increasing. We already have the chatter going on right now about Sunday legislation, getting back to Sunday. And what's going to tip the scales is that as there are more fires, like what happened in Paradise and in California, the Woolsey Fire in the south, Paradise in the north, hurricanes like Irma and Harvey and Michael, and these hurricanes are going to be growing. And these disasters are going to be increasing in this world. And as these disasters increase more and more and more, eventually people are going to look at this and they're going to say, these are judgments from God. And what's, but what's going to happen is the devil is going to pull a spin. And the spin is going to be, these disasters are judgments from God and he's doing this because we're not keeping Sunday. And if we all get back to Sunday and close the businesses on Sunday, global warming will improve. The disasters will start lessening and God will be pleased because we're coming back to church on his day. That's what's coming. You can can bet your bottom dollar that that's what's going to happen. That is what it says in the book, Great Controversy. So I see we're moving into a time of disasters. And then we're going to move into, she also says, we're going to move into a time of miracles. As these disasters increase, so will false miracles increase. And the devil will actually show up someday, and he will say that I'm Jesus, and we all need to keep Sunday. That's what it says in Great Controversy. So disasters and false miracles to support Sunday are going to ultimately lead us to the very time that the Bible says nobody can buy or sell unless he has the mark of the beast. And at that time, the third angel's message, it's going to be time. Time for the third angel. Time for God to speak. One last time to his world through the third angel's message, which is a warning against the sin of breaking his law. Now, go back with me to Romans chapter 3. I'm going to do right now what E.J. Wagner did in 1888. 
what he did, according to Ellen White, was he took the message of justification by faith and the righteousness of Christ, and he brought it in to the third angel's message. And that is what she said. She said, this is not uh, new light, it's old light, but it's placed where it should be in the third angel's message. That's what she says. And a lot of people have wondered, where is righteousness by faith in the third angel's message? Uh, There's a statement that I'll... See, where is that quote? We're going to look at it again in a little while, but it's on page 372 of First Selected Messages, where Ellen White said, letters have been coming to me, and people have been asking me, what do you think about this message that these two young men from California are preaching? Jones and Wagner, this message of justification by faith. She said, what do you think about this message? And Ellen White's response, does anybody remember her, her response? That's right. She said, she said, the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity. And people have been trying to figure that out ever since 1888. And I'm going to do my best, by the grace of God, to explain that very clearly from Romans chapter 3. When the time comes that the mark of the beast is enforced by law, and we are in the midst of Sunday laws, and that time is coming. As surely as we're here right now, one of these days, we're going to be in the middle of Sunday legislation. What happened in Paradise, California, and these different disasters, earthquakes in Alaska and different places, these things are going to increase. And people are going to look at these things and they're going to say something's going on here. Judgments are coming from God upon this world. But then they're going to misinterpret these judgments and they're going to say, this is because we're not keeping Sunday. And we all need to get back to Sunday. And, and we're going to be under pressure as Seventh-day Adventists who keep the Seventh-day Sabbath, who do not keep Sunday, And not only that, but we've been called to preach the third angel's message with a loud voice to the world. And the spotlight is going to be on us. Just like those three men refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image, they refused to commit idolatry. So we are going to be the three angels' messages. We're going to be the Shadrachs and the Meshachs and the Abednegoes who refuse to bow down. We will not bow down to the beast or the image or the mark. And we've got something to say. We have something to say. And what we have to say has to do with the Ten Commandments. So we're going to tell the world... Sunday legislation is wrong. And I I often ask uh, audiences on this. I I talk to lots of audiences about this topic, mixed audiences. I preach this in front of the public. I just did this in uh, Sierra Vista, Arizona not long ago. It was a Catholic woman sitting right in the audience. She came every night, every meeting, and she shook my hand at the door and she said, thank you for this information. 
She was very blessed. I don't condemn Catholic people. I tell people that well, I love Catholic people. I'm not even against Pope Francis as a person. It's not the person that I'm talking about. It's his office. It's the system. And it's the, it's the movement to violate the law of God. And people can understand that. And I ask the crowd, I say, what's, what's wrong with Sunday legislation anyway? Why is Sunday legislation wrong? And the first answer is, it's the wrong day. Second answer is that uh, it's force. God doesn't use force. He doesn't enforce Sunday. It's not his day, and he doesn't use force to compel people to obedience. The third reason why it's wrong is because it comes from the beast. The fourth reason why it's wrong is because it's a, it's a violation of the United States Constitution that forbids government from crossing over the line and enforcing religion. It's a violation of our religious freedoms. And if we explain things to the public in that way, people can see that. They think, you know, that's reasonable. It's breaking the Ten Commandments. It's using force. And it's a violation of our United States Constitution. It's against religious liberty. And, and when we explain it that way to the public, people go, yeah, that makes sense. Ellen White says we should properly position ourselves before the public, and we should explain these religious liberty issues to the public in a proper light. And as we do that, people are going to be convicted. And I believe the time's going to come when we're going to be appealing to people in Washington, D.C., we're going to be appealing to people uh, in government. We're going to be appealing to kings and statesmen and the media. We're going to be on television. The cameras are going to be on us. CNN, ABC, NBC, Associated Press, all the major networks are going to be looking at Seventh-day Adventists who are saying that Sunday legislation is wrong because it's breaking the Ten Commandments. It's using force. It's a violation of the separation of church and state. It's a violation of our United States Constitution. It's papal. Enforcing religion is papal. It's not American. And then we're going to be opening our Bibles, and we're going to be showing people Romans chapter 3. Verse 19 says, Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. When the whole world is going along with Sunday legislation, God is going to have a people who lift up the Ten Commandments, who lift up the commandments of God, before a lost and dying world one more time. And we've got to do it. And we've got to do it right. We've got to do it humbly. That's why we need the Laodicean message, to humble us. We have to do it in the, in the kindness and in the mercy of Jesus. Do it in, a, in as kind a way as we can in a way that appeals to people's consciences and to their reason. We need to talk to people like Mike Pence 
and Donald Trump, and hopefully Ben Carson will, will kick in as one of uh, Trump's advisors if this happens during the time of the Trump administration. And Trump has a daughter, Ivanka, who, who keeps the Sabbath. And there's going to be all kinds of things going on. We need to be appealing to government and to leaders and to statesmen and to the media and to anybody out there that's got a conscience and in a humble way tell them Sunday legislation is wrong because it's breaking the Ten Commandments. And ultimately, we're also going to say, according to the Bible, God's judgments are coming on those who break the Ten Commandments. This is very serious. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark in the forehead or in the hand, he shall drink the wine of the wrath of God. And we're going to, you know, God is going to, the Holy Spirit's going to come down and use God's people all around the world to lift up his commandments. And those who have ears to hear will be convicted by the law of God that they are, that that all the world may become guilty before God. And the world is going to be convicted. Now, let me ask you something. Here's a very important question. When, when we lift up the Ten Commandments and show the world its sin, that Sunday legislation is a violation of God's law, breaking the Ten Commandments, God's law, that, God's law that's a righteous law, that tells people what's right and what's wrong. Sunday is wrong. It's not right. It's not righteousness. It's wrong. It's a sin. And as we tell the world that, and the world realizes, or at least those who have ears to hear, realize that they're guilty before God, then what do we do? When we tell the world they're going to church on the wrong day and they're guilty before God, let me ask you a very, very important question. Is it enough for us just, just to tell people at that point that all you need to do is switch days? If you'll just stop keeping Sunday and start keeping Saturday, you're fine. You'll go to heaven by doing that. Yeah, I see a lot of heads going, no, 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 no. Well, good, that's right. Because once people are guilty before God, telling them that they, if they just need to switch days, they're going to be fine is not the answer. Because the very next verse, in verse 20, Paul says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Amen. So the whole world is going to be arraigned before the Ten Commandments through the latter reign, working through God's people, showing the world that they're breaking God's law, that Sunday is wrong. And the Bible says that once, we're in, once they're in that guilty before God condition, no amount of changing days or obedience is going to remove one particle of their guilt. Remember, we've been through that, haven't we? And now I'm just taking what we studied the other day from Romans, 19, Romans 3, 19 and 20, and I'm applying it 
to the time of the third angel's message. And that's what Wagner did at Minneapolis. He took the old truths of righteousness by faith and put it where it should be in the third angel's message. Verse 20 says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. As we lift up the law in the final hours, the Holy Spirit's going to be using the law to convict the world that they're in sin. They've broken not just the fourth, but the fifth and the ninth and the sixth and all the Ten Commandments. And I'm deeply convicted that we need to be, in order for us to do this right, brothers and sisters, we've got to be keeping all the Ten Commandments. We can't have any skeletons in our closet. We can't go into this final crisis being inconsistent and saying, well, we're, we're going to preach the fourth, but if we're not keeping the sixth, or if we're not keeping the seventh, or if we're not keeping the ninth, if we're breaking other commandments, we're going to have egg all over our faces. You think they looked at Kavanaugh, Judge Kavanaugh, did any of you watch any of those hearings? You think they picked him apart? They're going to pick us apart like we've never been picked apart before. We're going to be looked at inside and out, on all sides, and we better be living clean, consistent, Ten Commandment lives, or we're in trouble. We're in trouble, but God's going to clean people up, and He's going to have a people, He's going to have a remnant who are ready to give this message and who are going to be clean before God, clean before the Lord. And by the law is the knowledge of sin. And we're going to be lifting up the law because we've seen our sins and we've repented and we've come to Jesus. That's how we can lift up the Ten Commandments and we can show people and the Holy Spirit can use us and people can be convicted of their sins. Now, in that light, once the whole world is brought, at least those who are open, under conviction and they realize they're guilty before God, and the end of verse 20 says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now what do we do? (laughs) The next verse is so powerful. It gives me shivers. Verse 21 says, but now. Now that the world sees its need. Now that people are convicted of their sins. Now that they realize that by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in the sight of God. But now, now the righteousness of God without the law will be manifested. Hallelujah. Now that righteousness will be seen. It'll be witnessed by the law and the prophets. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is centered in who? In Jesus Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as the commandments are lifted up, then the cross is lifted up at the same time. And the law and the gospel are blended in the third angel and preached with power, with power. Remember, we've talked about that, right? That's where the power is. Now, I want to read a quote to you from 
this book. Grab your books, if you've got your books here, God's Last Message, Christ Our Righteousness, and turn to page 147. 147. And this is the last chapter of this book. The chapter's called When the Bomb Drops, and it's all about the mark of the beast. Down on page 147, about two-thirds of the way down, there is a quotation there from volume six of the testimonies. The reference there is uh, five, which is volume six of the testimonies, page 19. 1619. Now, Now read this carefully and hold on to your seats. It says, Ellen White wrote, The Holy Spirit gave us this statement through her that the Lord God of heaven will not send upon the world his judgments for disobedience and transgression until he has sent his watchmen to give the warning. He will not close up the period of probation until the message shall be more distinctly proclaimed. So during the final crisis... God's message is going to be distinctly and clearly proclaimed with a loud voice to the whole world, and we're going to be part of that by His grace. And then it says, the law of God is to be magnified. The Ten Commandments need to be lifted up in all their holiness and authority and glory. Their claims must be presented in their true and sacred character that the people may be brought to decide for or against the truth. So part of our work is to lift up that law of God, to show people the Ten Commandments, to go down through them, number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, to go right down through them from top to bottom, on the radio, on television, on YouTube, on Facebook, through Twitter, through all the technological means that we have at our command. We need to be going through those Ten Commandments, straight down the line, simple, clear, and powerful in a humble way. And then she says, yet the work will be cut short in righteousness. Now look at this. Look at the next sentence. The message of Christ's righteousness is to sound. From one end of the earth to the other to prepare the way of the Lord. This is the glory of God which closes the work of the third angel. Mark, it gives me shivers. It gives me shivers to read this. This is an apocalyptic moment. I tell you, the fact that we're here, that I'm here, that you're here, that we can study this, that this is being recorded, this is the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. We're learning the message of God for the world that closes the work of the third angel. And if you notice, she says that what closes the work of the third angel is the message of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
And the reason why the message of the righteousness of Christ closes the work of the third angel is that in the context of enforced Sunday keeping, which is enforcing the breaking of the law, God will have a people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who lift up the Ten Commandments before the world. And as the world sees that law, the Holy Spirit is going to convict them that they're guilty before God and no amount of obedience is going to take away their guilt. They are trapped in sin and they only have one way out. And that one way out is the God-man. It's the God who became a man, who kept the Ten Commandments for everybody who became the Lord, our righteousness, who suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane and who paid the final price on the cross for the sins of the entire world. And so as Adventism during its finest hour lifts up the Ten Commandments, then Adventism, at least those who are ready for this moment, by the grace of God, are going to lift up Jesus higher and higher and higher before a lost world. And they're going to have one last opportunity to receive the grace and the mercy and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved from sin before probation closes and the seven last plagues fall on those who get the mark of the beast. Now, here's another quote uh, on page 149. 149, just turn the page, and on page 149 at the top is a quote from the Review and Herald, November 22, 1892. This is what she says. The time of test is just upon us. And it's the test of the mark of the beast. When the mark hits, she says the mark of the beast will be urged upon us. The test will come to every soul. The time of test is just upon us for the loud cry of the third angel has already begun in the revelation of the righteousness of Christ, the sin-pardoning Redeemer. This is the beginning of the light of the angel whose glory shall fill the whole earth. See that? So in earth's final crisis, in earth's darkest hour, when Sunday's enforced by law, it's, it's Jesus Christ that needs to be lifted up as our righteousness. He has to be because he's the only way. Because the world is guilty for breaking God's law. And once you're guilty of breaking God's law, there's no way out except Jesus. Right? This is the beginning of the light of the angel whose glory shall fill the whole earth. Next sentence, right below that. It says, uh, I wrote, soon this prediction will be fulfilled. And this is what Ellen White wrote. This is from Review and Herald, December 23, 1890. Two years after Minneapolis. She said, one interest will prevail. 
one subject will swallow up every other. And what is that one subject? It's Christ our righteousness. This is how the message of Christ our righteousness is at the heart of the third angel's message. The third angel's message lifts up the law of God and shows people their sin. And in the light of their sin, there's only one answer. And that one answer is Jesus Christ and his righteousness. I tell you, this is as solid as the throne of God. What I'm telling you is as solid as the throne of God. This is clear, simple, straightforward, solid biblical truth. Now, I've got a little more to share with you. Uh, Back to the third angel. Back to Revelation chapter 14. The third angel's message is a warning about the wrath of God, verse 10, that is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. I want to just briefly share with you a few thoughts on this. And Jim, you mentioned my talk on this. I want to bring some of those quick thoughts in there. Uh, The third angel is a warning that those who get the mark of the beast will eventually drink the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out into a cup. And that cup, it says, is without mixture. And when it says without mixture, what do you think that means? No mercy. That's right. God's character is a blend of mercy and justice. Ever since man sinned, God has been giving mercy to the human family. And there's, there's really never been a time in all of human history where his pure justice without a drop of mercy has fallen full force on humanity. Not even in the flood. In the flood, people didn't. People died, but they weren't punished for all their sins. That comes at the end of the millennium. There's never been a time throughout human history when God has ever poured out the fullness of His wrath without a drop of mercy completely in all of history, except for one time. That's right. And that one time was in a garden called Gethsemane, when the God-man wrestled with a cup, and he prayed, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. And inside of that cup, for the first time ever, was the wrath of God, the full justice of God against all of human sin without a drop of mercy, not one drop. And Jesus knew what it would mean to his relationship with his Father if he chose to drink that cup. And he prayed three times. He wrestled. Go back to your book here. Page 74. Page 74. The main quote there is from Desire of Ages. And actually, there's just there's a little story there on the other page at the bottom that says, In a dream a man saw Christ being scourged. 
the Roman tormentor flung the whip through the air into the innocent victim's back. Points of metal, bits of pointed metal sank deep into his flesh. Finally, the man could stand it no longer. In his dream, he ran forward and he grabbed the the Roman who was hitting Jesus and he yelled, stop. But when he turned the Roman soldier around and he saw his face to his horror, he saw himself. Likewise, as we look at the cross, we see ourselves. We see what our sins are have done to the Son of God. Desire of Ages, right below it, says, Upon Christ, as our substitute and surety, was laid the iniquity of us all. He was counted a transgressor that he might redeem us from the condemnation of the law. The guilt of every descendant of Adam was pressing upon his heart. The wrath of God against sin The terrible manifestation of his displeasure because of iniquity filled the soul of his son with consternation. With the weight of guilt he bears, he cannot see the father's reconciling face. He feared that sin was so offensive to God that their separation was to be eternal. It was the sense of sin bringing the father's wrath upon him as man's substitute that made the cup he drank so bitter and broke the heart of the Son of God. He, the sin-bearer, endures the wrath of divine justice, which is the justice warned about in the third angel's message without a drop of mercy. And for your sake, he becomes sin itself. And I've been convicted that as the third angel warns about the mark of the beast and the wrath of God being poured out without a drop of mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The Lord led me one time as I was studying this to think about the wrath and the cup and no mixture, and the lamb, and then I thought, oh my, that takes me right to the Garden of Gethsemane, where the lamb suffered in the presence of the holy angels, where the lamb drank the cup without a drop of mercy for my sins and for your sins. He took our justice so he could give us his mercy. He drank the cup. And I'm just, I'm convicted that during the final loud cry, as we lift up the Ten Commandments, we're going to lift up the cross and we're going to show a lost and dying world one last time the glory of Gethsemane and Calvary. And people's hearts are going to be broken. They're going to be melted. It's not just changing days. That's part of it. But that's not all of it. We have to lift Jesus up as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in a way that people have never seen. That's going to be the loud cry. Just like Jesus cried with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That was a loud cry. And there will be a loud 
cry to this world one last time where people will see the love and the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. On page 75, on, the, on, the, on that page, there's a quote down there near the bottom. Wagner was at a camp meeting in 1882, and he was in his tent, and he had a remarkable experience. And it says, he said, suddenly a light shone upon me, and the tent seemed illumined as though the sun were shining. And I saw Christ crucified for me. And to me, it was revealed for the first time in my life that God loved me and that Christ gave himself for me personally. It was all for me. And that experience is what launched Wagner on his mission as a preacher of the cross. And at Minneapolis, he preached this, and he led the Seventh-day Adventist leaders in a series of Bible studies on Romans and Galatians, lifting up Jesus and putting that message in the middle of the third angel's message. And it was life-changing. It was powerful, and it is going to continue to shine until it lightens the earth. Now, I'm almost done here. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 9. People came to Ellen White, and they said, what do you think of the message that these men are preaching? Justification by faith and the righteousness of Christ. And her response was from First Selected Messages, page 372. She said that what we're hearing is the third angel's message in verity. Romans 5, verse 9 says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, which is the only way that anybody can get out from underneath the just condemnation of the law of God. It's through faith in Jesus Christ and his blood, his shed blood. Being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from what? from wrath through him. See that? Do you see it? Through the blood of Jesus that was, the blood was sprinkled by the high priest on top of the mercy seat, underneath which was the Ten Commandments. It's through the blood of Jesus and the justification so that our sins can entirely be forgiven, that it's through that blood that we will be saved from wrath. Ephesians 5, 6 says the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And that wrath is coming upon a lost world that has broken God's law. And the only way to get out from underneath the condemnation of a just law and to get clear from the coming wrath of God 
like John the Baptist said, flee from the wrath to come. The only way to get out from underneath that is through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And let me say that God's wrath is just. It's because God is good and he's tired of all the, the, the babies that are being aborted. And he's tired of all the pornography. And he's tired of all the children that are being abducted. And he's tired of all the, all the terrorists where people are blowing themselves up in front of innocent people. And he's tired, he's tired, he's tired of all these sins. He wants this world to be clean again, to be happy again, to be loving again, like he made it in the beginning. Because that is our God. He is going to send his judgments and he's going to get rid of sin once and for all. And he's going to be good and just in doing it. But he doesn't want to get rid of us. That's why he took the cup and drank it himself. And we got to explain this to the world. Romans 5.5 5 says, Hope does not make us ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. There is power in the third angel's message. There's power in justification by faith. There's power in the forgiveness of sins. And as the Holy Spirit comes into people's lives, bringing the love of God, Romans 13 verse 10 says, love is the fulfilling of the law. And through the mercy of Jesus and the grace of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus and the power of Jesus, God's people are going to have that, that Holy Spirit power that's going to come into their lives and change them, and they are going to want to follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They're going to want to keep the commandments, all ten of them, including the fourth and the ninth and the fifth and the sixth, and all of them because they love Jesus. And God's going to give them the power to say no, to resist the devil, the beast, the image, the mark, and all the forces of the dragon and the beast and the false prophet and the false miracles, all of this, we're going to say, no, 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 no. We're going to follow Jesus Christ all the way. And by his grace, we are going to keep the Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath, in the midst of the storm because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. My last verse before... I finish, is Revelation 14, verse 12. The message of the righteousness of Christ will produce a people, a people who are commandment keepers. Revelation 14, 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. They keep them now. They do. First, they've realized that they've broken them and their only answer is Jesus Christ. And through Jesus and his grace and his love and his power and his forgiveness and his mercy, they then become commandment keepers. Commandment keepers are born through the message of Christ and his righteousness and the message of the cross. 
Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So at the end of this workers' meeting, as my heart's been touched, and I trust yours has too, I appeal to you as a fellow minister of the gospel. I was ordained in 18, um, not 18, <laughs> 1981, <laughs> 1981 in North Dakota. I pastored for 11 years. I am a pastor. I'm an evangelist. I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. And I appeal to you, to the pastors, their wives, the Bible workers, everybody here in this room, and anybody who listens to this recording, I appeal to you to make a decision that you want to be one of these saints. Here is the patience of the saints. Saints who follow the Bible, the Word of God. Saints who have the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray for the Holy Spirit. Seek the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help us all to understand these truths. Saints who lift up Jesus in the midst of a lost and dying world. Saints who trust in the Lord, our righteousness, not in ourselves, who trust in Him. Saints who by the power of God and the Holy Spirit choose to keep the Ten Commandments in this world of moral chaos. Saints who by the grace of God overcome sin, overcome every sin by the grace of God so they can line up with the law of God because they love the Lord. Saints who are willing to spread this message, this third angel's message all around the world, in the Michigan conference and in every conference, all over the planet. And saints who are ultimately ready for the harvest. That's described in verses 14 to 16, and I'll finish with this. Verse 14, I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. It's harvest time. Another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time is come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. That's what's coming. And may the Lord reap us <laughs> and gather us into his, uh, into his heavenly kingdom. <laughs> Won't that be a wonderful day? Amen. That's what it's all about. So, Let's be faithful. Be faithful, Michigan Conference pastors and Bible workers and your wives. Let's be faithful. Jim's going to come up and pray our closing prayer. Father in heaven, we're on the threshold of your coming. Events are happening so quickly that we only catch a glimpse of some of the things and we have no idea of the 
plans that are being prepared and carried out. But one thing we know, when we look into that law, it's a mirror into our own heart, we see that we don't match up. We see that we are poor, blind, wretched, miserable, naked. But when we look into the heart of Jesus, we see that his heart, his life does match. We also recognize that you've given us an opportunity, an invitation to accept his life for ours. Which means that he has already suffered that cup of wrath that's poured out without mercy so that we don't have to. So that we will never be eternally separated from you. Father, we lack, we lack that love that love that is so special that's called the fear of you, reverence. We're asking that the Holy Spirit would pour that reverence into our hearts. Because it's the fear of the Lord that turns one from evil. It's the fear of the Lord that keeps us drawing closer and closer to you and breaks the power of sin in our lives. So, Father, we're asking that you would give us that fear. And that day by day it will grow and grow, and you'll give us a greater capacity to have more. And with that, a love for others and a desire to see them come to you as we're coming. Lord, I pray that you would take away all that selfishness that's within us, all the self-righteousness, all of that critical spirit and you will put such a love in our hearts that we won't care about self we won't care about positions we won't care about numbers but we will care about every heart father we're about to have an evangelistic series another one across this state You have moved upon us to focus the presentations on Jesus. You know that there are a group of young men who are putting this, these presentations together. And as you have moved on so many others to present your gospel in the clearest possible way, I pray that you would move upon those men that Jesus might be the center of every one of those presentations. Father, I pray that you would bless these statewide evangelistic outreach, that every one of us will be embraced in it. I pray that your power would come through and that hearts would be touched and that there would be a movement towards you as never before. But may that movement come first from our own hearts, our own families, our own church families. May there be a revival that is so deep within us that it transforms the life. And that can only happen with the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Father, we want to kneel before you dedicating our lives. We know not what the future holds for us.
But we do ask that you would help us to be faithful until the very last moment of our lives. And if we should live it before, want to see you come in the clouds, Lord, maybe we be faithful, Lord, to that time. So, Father, I pray your blessing upon us. We don't deserve it, but we need it. We must have it. And I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Bless us with that connection that you've promised. And we want to thank you. We want to thank you for the way that you've been with us as a conference, for the way that you've been with us through this time together, this special time. We ask and you delivered. And now, Father, we are thanking you in advance for what you're going to do in this conference and in the lives of each person here. We pray that you would be with Steve as he travels home. We pray that you'll continue to bless him in his ministry, that he might glorify and honor you. That's his desire. And I know it's your desire for him too. Pray that you'd bless his family. So, Father, as we bring this meeting to a close, We want to thank you. Our hearts go out to you in love and gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.